It is good to see you here today. Who was at men's meeting yesterday? Hey, was that awesome or was that awesome? Wow, what a day, what a day. Um, just to reiterate for those who were here and for those who won't, if you now feel like you've missed out, by tonight, all the messages from yesterday will be on our podcast. They will be available for you to go and download. Ladies, you get to cheat and peek in if you are so inclined to do. Um, but I, I think that there was a bit of everything in there, even for you. Vice, William, good to have you here today, all the way from the Cape, sir. Great to see you. So this morning... This morning, I um, man, this morning is a, a bit of a strange morning for me. I, uh, it's one of those mornings where all week you thought you're speaking on one thing. And then Friday morning, something else happens. And um, isn't it the truth that we all have hopes and dreams? Right? You've got hopes. I've got hopes. Everyone's got hopes. We've all got dreams. Maybe you may not have so many dreams right now, but think back to 10-year-old you. How many dreams a 10-year-old you have? Probably many. I, I, I don't think I ever lived in reality when I was 10. I just hovered somewhere in dream world. That was me. To this day, I think my wife has a hard time keeping me grounded. You know, I'm, I'm always dreaming, I'm always thinking ahead, I'm always thinking, man, what if? You know, what if? And it's true, we've all got dreams, we've all got hopes. And what I've found in my life is that the more I engage with God, the more I just spend time in His Word, the more I just spend time with Him and, and, and speaking to Him and engaging with Him, I find that He takes these dreams and He, in some instances, He'll even change the dream. He'll even turn things around a bit. He'll, he'll even give me brand new dreams that, that just weren't there. Dreams for myself, dreams for my wife, dreams for my kid, um, you know, dreams for my family, dreams for, for this church. And in the same way, whether you're aware of it or not, I pray for you guys all the time. I do. I believe it's my responsibility. I believe that the day that I said yes to doing this, it wasn't just this. I almost want to say this is the easy part. <laughs> the day that I said yes, I said yes to engaging with God on your behalf. Not that that takes your responsibility away. But as I... As I pray for you and as I engage with God and, and, and something happens, like God gives me dreams for you. God gives me desires for you. I'm not saying I'm your dad. Please hear me out. But when, when I look at Zion, like my mind goes nuts. Like I just, I look at everything that he enjoys and I'm just like, man, what if he becomes a drummer? I can't get him away from drums. He won't even watch cartoons. He watches drum tutorials. What two-year-old does that? You know? And if it's, not, if it's not a drum, it's a helicopter. You know? So he's going to be a technician or an engineer or a pilot or a, you know what? Lord, what's, what's in this kid? I've got no idea. He's like a lucky packet. I'm just waiting. <laughs> but in the same way... <laughs> At night, I'll go to bed and I'll think about you in the same way. As a congregation, as individuals, I'll still have these moments where I'm like, man, what if? What if? Just imagine if. And this past week, like I say, I had a message prepped. And then I heard a different pastor from a different church be brave enough to share this with his church. And it hit me square between the eyes. And I wrestled with it from about Tuesday. And by Friday, I just gave up. I was just like, okay, Lord, let's do this. So if you will, I don't know what the word is, um, indulge me this morning to just share some of my dreams with you. Is that okay? 
I've kept it simple. I've kept it down to three. Um, yeah, th- it could have been three chapters easy. No problem. But I kept it down to three. Here's, here's my first dream for your, for your life. That sounds weird. Um, <laughs> but if I could dream on your behalf, let's say that. If I could dream on your behalf, this would be my first dream. That you would give your life to God. That you would give your life to God. Now, most of you are sitting here going, dude, choir, you preaching. You know, we're here, aren't we? We've given our lives to God. I'm sitting in church, man. Box checked. I've given my life to God. Here's, here's the thought that always goes through my mind. It's just a word. Really? Really? Have we really given our lives to God? You see, when I, when I say my dream for you is that you would give your life to God, have we ever stopped and considered? We so easily throw it out there. Someone, someone prays a prayer of salvation, and what do we say? He's given his life to God. Have we stopped to consider those words? I've given my life to God. What am I saying? <laughs> my life's no longer mine. Now, if I've done this right, which all of a sudden I'm feeling in my pockets and I might not have done this right. Oh, I've done this right. <laughs> what a relief. So, this is 100 Rand, right? Can I have someone out of the audience to please inspect it for me? No, it's not a magic show. Um, this is 100 Rand. Okay, it's a very, very real 100 Rand. It's my 100 Rand. I worked for it, I earned it. It's my 100 Rand. I can spend it on whatever I like, isn't that the truth? But now I take this hundred rand and I give it to Robin. Robin, it's your hundred rand. What's just happened? That hundred rand is no longer my belonging, is it? That hundred rand now belongs to Robin. Isn't that the truth? So now Robin can take that hundred rand. And Robin can go and Robin can spend that 100 rand on anything he likes. Isn't that the truth? Why? Because I gave it to Robin. So when we say that we've given our lives to God, have I really given my life to God? That he can take it and spend it on whatever he likes. That he can take this life and he can spend it on whatever he desires. See, when we say we've given our lives to God, that's what we should be meaning. That I no longer have ownership of this life. This life is it's no longer mine. I, I, I've given my life over to someone else. And they get to use my life as currency and spend it wherever they like. What am I talking about here? I'm talking about throwing ourselves completely into a relationship with our loving Heavenly Father. Talking about a complete surrender, a complete abandonment to God. It's the kind of relationship that's free, but will cost me my life. It's the kind of depth of relationship that leads you to absolute trust in God. If you say that you've given your life to God, then it talks about a depth of relationship that leads to making decisions that'll appear to cost you in the short term, but it'll transform your life. And it'll change the direction of your life for eternity. It's the sort of relationship that makes me say yes 
to the risks that don't make sense. Gentlemen, you were here yesterday. For those of you who were at the men's camp, you'll know all about the risks that don't make sense. Uncle Alan laid that out so beautifully yesterday. But for those who weren't here, what are the risks that don't make sense? See, when I, when I abandon my life completely to God, when I say, Lord, here's this life, whatever you can do with it, I give it to you. Then, then God has this freedom to, to prompt me and go, hey, I want you to go and, you know that neighbor that no one likes? I want you to make him a meal and I want you to go hang out with him. You know, it gives God the freedom to, to say, hey, I want you to become a foster family. I want you to take in children who don't have a home and, and care for them until they are given a home. Maybe he prompts you a little further and says, hey, I don't just want you to take care of them for a couple of months. I want you to invite them into your family. I want you to adopt a child or children. Hey, I, I, I want, you know that valued possession, that valued possession, every guy in this building is thinking of his motorcycle right now. You know that valued possession, I want you to give it to so-and-so. It's the depth of relationship that says yes to the risks that don't make sense. It says yes to God prompting when he says, hey, that dating relationship that's causing a rift between you and me, I want you to end it. I want you to go and I, I want you to love that child through rehab. It's a depth of relationship that says yes to the risks that don't make sense. In the book of Luke, uh, chapter 9, verse 57 through to 62, we see Jesus, he's with a group of people, and at one point he, he, he just says to someone, we do, just says to someone, he says, hey, come follow me. Come follow me. And the, the guy's answer is, let me first go home and, and bury my father. Now, let me first go home and bury my father seems like a pretty reasonable expression. Here's the catch, that in the culture of the day, the chances of that guy's dad being dead is slim to none. In other words, the guy's father was probably still alive. Why? Because in the day, if you had a loved one that passed away, you didn't leave home. You stayed there and the, 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 the law was you had to try and get the person buried as soon as possible. So you wouldn't have gone on a field trip to go and hear Jesus speak. I'm not being crude. That's just the truth. So the chances that this guy's dad was dead is slim to none. And here his answer to Jesus is, let me first go home and bury my dad. What's he, what's he saying? Lord, I've got some other stuff that's going on that take priority over this. And I first need to go and deal with that. And then I, you know, then maybe we'll see how it goes, you know. Let's check the climate and maybe if there's nothing better going on, I'll join you somewhere along the line. And Jesus' response to him is, let the dead bury their own dead. That seems harsh. And then Jesus turns to another person and says, hey, you, come follow me. And the guy says, yes, I want to follow you. He actually agrees. He says, yes, I want to follow you. Uh, but let me just go home and greet my family. Let me just say goodbye to my family. Again, chances are that talks about a whole party and, and all sorts of stuff. It's, it's not, a, it's not a, a give them a hug and leave kind of moment. It's quite a, an expansive thing. And again, it's this thing of, Lord, I've got some other stuff going on right now. There's, there's, there's these things that I'd like to accomplish before I surrender my life. There's these things that I'd like to do before I, I really engage with you in that depth. Quick question. Does anyone know the names of the two men? Anyone? Anyone know the names? No one? No. No, we don't know the names of the two men. The scriptures don't record their names. 
Why? Because there are two men who probably said no to, to well, they, they definitely said no, but probably to the greatest invitation that they would ever receive in life. Come, follow me. I can only think that Jesus must have sat there thinking to himself, <laughs> you see this guy here? His name's Andrew. Like people are going to name their kids after Andrew. This over here, this is Mark. People are going to name their kids after Mark. This guy, he's Judas. John, they're going to name their kids after John. Definitely going to name their kids after John. Why? Because these men said yes to the greatest invitation of life. Come, follow me. Come, give me your life. And I will spend it in ways that you cannot even begin to imagine. That's God's heart for you. That's God's heart for me. I'm probably going to cry a lot through the rest of this message. I'm just, it's a pre-warning. Um, because I want to share some stories of folks sitting in this congregation that have, that have said yes in these moments and what it's led to in their lives. Um, not too long ago, and I have no permission because all of this hit me early hours of the morning. Um, so I'm going to share their stories without using their names, and I'll repent to them afterwards. But not too long ago, uh, I, did a, I did a wedding of a couple. And I can honestly say that, that during the ceremony, during the social times, during the reception, during every part of the wedding, the wedding was a testimony to everyone who was there. Since then, the wedding has been a testimony to people who weren't there. <laughs> Why? Because of who got married. You see, it was two lives that said yes. It was two lives that said, Lord, when I give you my life, I give you my life, that you may spend it in any way that you choose. Are they perfect people? Not, not by a long shot. None of us are. But there are two lives who have sold out to the call and the cause of Christ. Two lives that said, I give you my life. Spend it in any way that you like. And those lives beamed on their wedding day. And those lives spoke of God's faithfulness and his care and his love. Not just on their wedding day, but beyond. It's just two folks sitting here in the congregation. And that is what God can do. He can change the lives of the people around us. He can change the, he can influence a world for him just through a single simple life that says, Lord, I give you this life. In Luke 9, 23, Jesus said this. He said, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself. Let him take up his cross and, and let him follow me. If anyone chooses to, to keep their life, they will lose it. And if anyone chooses to lose their life for my sake, they will gain it. I believe that when we say yes to following Jesus, when we say yes to, to surrendering to him, that he can take our lives and he can do the most incredible things with them if we'll just say yes. A real yes. Not a, I prayed a prayer and now I can pretty much live the way I want to. Yes. But a real yes. A yes that says, this is my life. Spend it as you please. Second dream. The second dream is to know the fulfillment of a life of discipleship. The fulfillment of knowing a life of discipleship. 
I guess my question to us here this morning is, have, have you ever opened your life to someone else and gone, I see enough Jesus in you to want what you have reproduced in my life. You see, discipleship isn't about following a man. It's about following Jesus in the person. That's what discipleship's all about. When, when, when I say that I'm discipling someone, they're not following Ramon and his flaws and his mistakes. They have grace for me in those areas, but at the end of the day, they're following the Jesus in me, not the Ramon in me. If you turn around and you, you look back, can you point out the, the men and the women that, that have said, hey, I want to follow you as you follow Christ. I, I, I want you to speak into my life because I see things in your life that, that I just, they just speak of God's heart. And I desire to see those things <laughs> reproduced in my life. See, because that's all that discipleship is. It's a, it's a reproduction process. It's, 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 not, it's not growing a big beard and wearing a robe. That's not discipleship. Discipleship means that, that I become a follower of. I become an imitator of. Now, when we enter into a discipleship process, the goal is to become an imitator of, a follower of Jesus. But yet he uses people in our lives to work that process in our lives, doesn't he? I know a lot of us go, you know, it's kind of me, it's, I'm on my own. And, and we come up with all sorts of excuses why we don't want to get into discipleship. Trust me, I've been there, guys. I feel like I could write the book on why I didn't want to disciple people or be discipled. First off, I don't have the time. For heaven's sakes, dude, have you seen my calendar? I don't have the time. Secondly, I don't have the patience. People learn slow. I'm not into learning slow. Like, I need to say it, you understand it, let's move on. I don't have the patience. Don't look so holy. You think that as well. You know, I don't, I don't have the finances. They're going to come to my house and eat my food. It is. They're going to come to my house, they're going to eat my food. Eat me out of house and home, especially if they're in the early 20s. <laughs> they're going to sit on my couch and wear through my couch. Who's going to replace my couch? Don't have the finances. I don't have the resources. I don't have the knowledge. I don't go to Bible school. You went to Bible school, Ramon. That's a different story. Guys, I went to Bible school for rehab. Like, I didn't pay attention. I'm just being honest with you. I, I, visit, I meet with my, with my Bible school dean once a month now. And I, I confessed to him the other day. I said, yes, Pastor Mark, I really should have paid attention in Bible school. I did. Why? What, what I do up here, I now do out of relationship with Jesus and, and seeking him and searching for him through a discipleship process. It's not some head knowledge that I gained in Bible school. What I gained in Bible school was a relationship with Christ. That's what I gained there. And I'm grateful for every minute that I spent there for that. But this thing of, I don't have the knowledge. Do you have a Bible? Do you have a desire to get stuck into God's word? Then there is no excuse. See, because the same Jesus, the same God who speaks to me is the same God who speaks to you. I don't have the ability, you know, I'm not a people's person. I don't, I'm just not a people's person. You know, I got that big do not enter sign on my bedroom door. Well, maybe it's time to take it down. That, that'll be a good start. I heard this one yesterday. I hadn't heard it yet, but I, I heard this one yesterday. You know, it's hard to disciple people because they're just not on my level. You know? It's just like... There's this, you know, like God's ways are so much higher than mine, you know. It's like there's, I just, I struggle to relate to people that just aren't on my level. 
I wish I was lying, but I actually did hear that yesterday. And we come up with all these excuses of why we can't disciple people and why we can't be discipled. And yet in Matthew 28, Jesus didn't ask questions. He just said, go. He said, go, go make disciples. He didn't say, you select few, you certain folk, you that have the ability, you have the time, you have the patience, you who don't care if, you're, if you get eaten out of house and home, and you who don't care whether your couch gets that through. You know, he, he didn't put these things into place. He just said, you go. Go and make disciples. And here's what, I've, here's what I've found. I found that when we say yes, God gives us a new heart. Folks, I didn't like people. My mother's sitting right here. She knows the truth. I didn't like people. I really didn't like people. I didn't like spending time with people. The fact that I got married is a miracle. <laughs> I didn't like people. And then God calls me to be a pastor. How's that for a sense of humor? But the moment that I said yes, the moment that I said yes to a process of discipleship, the moment that I said yes to saying to God, here's my life, spend it as you want. The moment that I said yes to that process of discipleship, God came and changed my heart. If you feel like there are these things that are holding you back, say yes. Say yes to that risk that makes no sense. God will change your heart. You see, he takes selfish me, he allows selfish me to die, and he creates selfless me. And all of a sudden, we make the time. We find the, the, the patience he gives us the patience. He, 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 he makes our budget stretch way beyond we ever thought it could. And he fills us with that knowledge that's needed. Folks, there are few feelings in this world that are better, and I, I, I still struggle to think of any, that are better than walking a road of discipleship with someone and seeing a life transform in front of your eyes. Have you ever had someone tell their faith story and include your name in it? Have you ever had someone say, you know, man, I was just this recluse at work, or I was just this, you know, this party guy, blah, 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 at work, and, and fun and games, and, and all of these things, and, and there was this guy, or there was this lady, and they were at work, and they were just different. At first, I even thought they were just weird. They were just different. They were just different to everyone else. But as I started engaging with them, I started realizing that, that this something different is actually kind of attractive. And I wanted to find out more about it. And, and as they, I mean, I, I even mocked them at times, but they just loved me. And then I, I like, I'd say weird stuff on email about them, and they'd still just love me. And, and somewhere along the line, I realized that what they had, I needed. And, and they loved me through this process and walked this process with me. And today I can honestly say that someone can follow me as I follow Christ. Why? Because I followed the Jesus in them. And that story, have your name attached to it. Have you ever experienced that? There's nothing more gratifying, I don't believe, knowing that you were that big neon sign that pointed someone straight to Jesus. We've been, um, we've been discipling a, a, a couple in for, for about the past six years or so. And uh, about two years ago, the eldest son started not playing with the kids in the, in the other room, but he started making like guest appearances into the discipleship group and just coming, hanging out, listening, engaging, afterwards asking some questions. And it happened more and more and more and more. To the point where he himself was being discipled. Young guy. Start of the year, he goes to high school. 
and uh, he's a great rugby player, went, uh, signed up for rugby, played um, a team for his age group. And, and like, I didn't realize this, but rugby's a religion in schools. I don't know if you've known that. It's wild. Okay, not just in schools, sorry. I watched my first rugby game when I was 22. I'm out of the loop completely. I can tell you he's on pole today, though. Um, <laughs> and this, this, this guy would have to meet with his coach alone, like privately have one-on-one -on -one conversations. And in one of these conversations, the, the coach says to him, he says, hey, um, you know, this is the deal, this is where we're going, blah, 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 does his whole coach routine, and then from there he says to him, what about you? Anything, anything you want to say or add or, you know, any, any thoughts from your side? And he says, yeah, there's this kid in our team that gets ridiculed and mocked. He says, uh, I don't like that. It's not right. It's got to change. <laughs> the coach's response was, yeah, but he's thick as two bricks. That was literally the coach's response. The guy's dumb. He's not going to go anywhere. I don't blame the fact that the other kids mock him. That was the response. This boy's response was this. I understand, coach. Here's my question. Is it our responsibility to let him know that? Or is it our responsibility to let him feel like he's part of a team? Hey? 14 years old. 14 years old. How does this happen? One of the mornings before a big game, his dad sends me a video clip that he shot Scalum out of his room while his son's sitting on his bed preparing himself for his day's rugby. And he's sitting on the bed, praise and worship, blaring. Praise and worship blaring in the background with the words, Jesus, we're living for your name. We'll never be ashamed of you. Our praise and all we are today, take it all. You see, the change that change that happened in this young man's life where he has gone and um, I've actually got to finish my story first. That's what happens when you cry. You forget where you're going. After this conversation that this kid had with his coach, the next game, the school gets whipped by a school they shouldn't have lost to. The coach is jumping all over the team, you know, like having, having a say, having, his, having it out with the team. And as he's jumping all over them, he says, none of you listened to me in this game. Only person who listened to me was this guy, and he points to the guy who gets mocked and ridiculed. Only guy who listened to me. From today onwards, if I hear one more bad word out of any of you about this kid or to him, you off my team. 14-year-old changed the culture of his rugby team. A 14-year-old changed the culture of his rugby team. Why? Because before he heads out, he connects with God. And he finds God's heart for his life so it can be an influence to the lives around him. 14 years old, sitting in this church, you wouldn't even have known it. Why? Because he engaged in a discipleship process. He, he recognized that there was something, there was enough Jesus in the people that were placed around him to go, what you have, I want. What you have, I want. I've, I've seen all the stuff that's out there. I've seen what's, what's presented to me on a daily basis. At 14, I wasn't like that at 14, I'm just saying. But I've seen it. But I've seen what you guys have, and I want that. That's what I want. And allowed the Jesus in people around him to be reproduced in his life. 
being discipled by his parents and a group of people, where now a high school coach, whether he's aware of it or not, is being discipled by a 14-year-old. Fact. That is what happens when we say yes to a discipleship process in our lives, folks. Third one, we're ending off with this. My third dream is that you would center your financial world around give, save, live. A lot of you know give, save, live. We've, we've, we've used it here many times before. For those of you who don't, give, save, live. Give 10%, save 10%, live on the rest. I know that talking about money is taboo in church. What are the three things we're not allowed to talk about in church? Money, sex, and children. Isn't that the fact? Okay. So I'll save you two today. I'm going to just talk about the one. Why do I feel like I have the freedom to talk about it? It's simple. Jesus spoke about it a lot. Jesus spoke about money all the time. Jesus spoke more about money than he spoke about uh, than he spoke about heaven and hell combined. How's that for a stat? Jesus spoke more about money than any other topic in the Bible other than the kingdom of heaven. 11 out of 39 parables, he spoke about money. Do you think the matters of our money is on God's heart? Just might be, hey? The Bible has 500 verses on prayer. It has less than 500 verses on faith. It has 2,000 verses on money. I believe that our financial well-being is on God's heart. I believe that with all my heart. Why did Jesus talk about money so much? And don't worry, I'm not going to, this isn't going to be long. This is like another three minutes. So you can, and we've taken up the offering. (laughs) I'm not about to try and preach helmets full here. The heart behind sharing this with you is connected to the heart that God has for you in this area. See, Jesus knew that, in, that the wallet and the heart were connected. He knew that when, when he spoke into money, he was actually speaking into the person's heart because that's how, how closely knit they are. You know, where your treasure is, your heart will be also. It's as simple as that. That's what he said. Why, why is this important to him? Because I believe that there is a freedom that God desires for you and for me within money. And I'm not here to preach name it, claim it, and frame it, and all that rubbish. That's, you've never experienced that. You never will experience that yet. But there is a certain sense of freedom that I believe is available to you and me when we honor God with our finances. It's that simple. It's not what I said. It's what the Word of God says. Money, whenever the Bible talks about money, it's not really talking about a substance. It's talking about a heart condition. That's what it's talking about. It's talking about a heart condition. Why? Because God knows, man, if I can get that guy's wallet, I've got his heart. I've got his heart. A lot of you have come over the last couple of weeks and spoken to us on biblical finance. What does the Bible have to say about it? That isn't this message now. In a couple of weeks, we're going to get into it. We'll hand out safety belts at the door. But when we say give 10%, why? The Bible talks about a tithe. Jesus himself said, yes, you must tithe and don't neglect these other things. Do it. Save. How many of us actually save? How many of us, let's be honest, the majority of the world lives on 100%. We live on 100%, man. Life just goes by. And we are bound by debt. We are bound by the chains of debt all day long. And I don't believe that God wants you or me to live bound by the chains of debt. 
Maybe this morning you're just here to hear, to, to just hear the words, it's time for you to get a plan to get out of debt. If you want a plan to get out of debt, come speak to us. We can help you. We've got great stuff for you. We honestly do. And the answer isn't give all your money to the church because I know that's what you're thinking. But when I, when I give to God, it means he has my heart. It's a, it's a fact. It's a fact. Give to God first. 10%. Maybe you can't do 10%. Maybe you're not at that place right now where you feel like you have the faith for 10%. That's fine. Find a number. Start there. Just start somewhere. Start honoring God with your finances. Welcome him in. Allow him into your finances. And I promise you, you will start to see things change. Save whatever number you're giving. Try save the amount, the same amount. Why? Because today isn't all that there is. There is still tomorrow and the next day. And you may need to take someone out for a meal. Or you may need to go and do something fun. Or you may just want to buy a really big TV. I don't know. Save. And love on the rest. Folks, I believe that if you and I could center our worlds, our financial worlds, not our world, just our financial world, that little section. If we could just center that around the, the truth of God's word, around giving, saving, and living. I believe that there will be a freedom that you will experience, a peace that you will experience, not with this debt that's just loaded on you, that, that, that governs your life because you can't do this and you can't do that and you can't do that because you have to pay this, that, and the next thing. Another testimony out of this church. A couple. A lot of us live here. They, this was their belief. We'll pray, we'll hand in the application, and if they grant us the loan... That's God saying yes. That's a really good like measuring tool, isn't it? It's like, I really want that motorcycle. I really want that motorcycle. I don't know if I should have it or not. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to fill in the application. I'm going to hand it in. I'll shoot a prayer off to God. And if the application comes back approved, that's God's way of saying yes. Like he's opened the door. And that's, that's how, how, how this couple lived. And then at a men's camp a couple of years ago, God addressed his heart and said, who said yes? Me or the bank manager? Me or the National Credit Act? Who said yes? Did I say yes? I don't remember saying yes. It was just approved. That's all. But it wasn't me. That's why you... And, and, and they admitted, they said, we, we came to church twice a month. Every second Sunday we'd come to church. Why? Because we didn't have money. We were living in debt. Couldn't come. That night, they went home. Monday morning, they had their vehicle that, that was approved. Um, on the showroom floor, it sold. And guess what they started doing? Started coming to church every week. Why? Because there was money to do that. Every once in a while, they could even have a bite to eat together. Why? Because there wasn't this, this thing dictating to them what they should be doing and what they shouldn't be doing. Folks, debt is not from God. I know that in certain areas, we can't avoid it. I have debt. I have what's called a house payment. But I'm talking about things that, that, that keep us under, that's not providing or, or taking away from providing for our family, for, that's stopping us from, from giving to God the way that we should, that's stopping us from saving the way that we should. If you've got a bike payment or a car payment and it makes no effect on your budget, praise God. Enjoy the bike. It's just, is it killing you or isn't it? I can see that went down like a lead balloon. You're welcome. Folks, what am I saying here today? Here's what I know. When we talk about 
giving our lives to God, when we talk about the fulfillment of, of, of a discipleship process in our lives, when we talk about living in the freedom of give, save, live, what I'm really saying to you is Jeremiah 29 talks about God having a plan for our lives. That God has a plan for our lives, not a plan of, of evil, but a plan for good, a, a, a plan for a hope and for a future, a plan to prosper us. I know that God has a plan for your life. My greatest desire is to see that plan fulfilled. My greatest desire is to see you find God's plan for your life. I know that God and that, 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 that his plans are found in him and only him. And I know that the only way that we find these plans is by searching for him. The worship team's welcome to come back. My prayer for you is that the fingerprints of God would be the roadmap that leads to the fulfillment of his plans for your life. That you've so engaged with him that he leaves a mark on your life. So today, have you given your life? Really? Have you given your life? Have you given God your life in a, in a way that speaks of, Lord, it is yours. It's no longer mine. You can spend it any way you like. Today, when... Can you point to someone and say, I'm following the Jesus inside of that person. We're walking a road together. We're working out our salvation. We, we're engaging. They, they're speaking into my life. I'm accountable. I'm, I'm going through a discipleship process. And as a result, if I look behind me, those are the people that are following me as I follow Christ. Maybe today the question for you is, what's out of balance? Do I live on 100% and giving and saving doesn't feature? Maybe you're inclined to save 80% and live on 20%, but giving doesn't feature. But there's a hold. There's not a freedom. There's an enslaving. There's not a freedom. What needs to change? My dream for you I pray it every week when we end every week when we end I pray these words I say I say Lord as we go out into the marketplace will we accurately represent you to the people around us my heart for you my dream for you is the same dream that I have for me that when people engage with me that they'll engage with Jesus that's my heart for you that's my prayer for you Father God this morning as we just wrap up Lord I thank you that you have a plan and you have a purpose for us Lord Lord and I know that I've just come out and shared a couple of thoughts this morning Lord but Lord, I thank you that, that as I've been able to share these thoughts, I believe that your heart is attached to them, Lord. Lord, that these, these, these dreams, these thoughts, that, that they come straight from your heart, Lord. Lord, that your desire is to see your people grow, to see your people mature in you, Lord. To see the fullness of who you are be realized in our lives, Lord. Lord, that we don't just go out and wear a badge and, and carry a name, Lord, just for the sake of it, Lord. Like we'd wear a brand name shirt, Lord. But Father God, that, that, that all of that would, would, would fade to nothing, Lord. That, that the desires of this world and the cares of this world would melt away, Lord, as Paul said. Lord, that we will grab hold of you wholeheartedly. 
Lord, that you will have our lives to spend in any way that you choose, Lord. Lord, that you will disciple us through beloved uh, people in our lives, Lord, that you've handpicked. Lord, and that we will, we will honor you through our income, Lord. That we'll prioritize you in every area of our lives. Lord, this morning, these are our lives. Take them. Use them. We trust you. Spend them in any way that you choose, Lord. And we pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to do one last song before we go. We're going to sing ourselves out of here because it was that kind of morning. Um, yeah, that sounds good. If there's anything that I said this morning that resonates with you to the point where you feel like you need to have another conversation, I'm going to be up front here. Please come speak to me. There are going to be a couple of folks here who are happy to engage with you and just talk through some stuff. Beyond that, I hope that you have a wonderful Sunday. I hope that we have a fantastic MotoGP this afternoon. We have four South Africans racing. Isn't that awesome? Hey? Yeah. So um, all the best to them. And uh, have a wonderful Sunday. Please don't run off. Visit. But for now, glorious day. <laughs>